0: Every NHL season brings forth a lot of interesting questions. You'll have players motivated to prove their doubters wrong after a tough season. You'll have players who are eager to take that next step. You'll have players with the loser label motivated to succeed in cases where they have previously stumbled. And you will have coaches on the hot seat right off the get-go. The stories stay the same, but the names involved changed all the time. So who are the big names to look out for this year? We tackle that in episode 188 of the Lace Em Up podcast, and the fun starts right now.
1: And now, it's
0: time to lace em up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth.
1: I'm Brett Dubuff.
0: To all of our uh, Canadian fans out there, hope you have a lovely Thanksgiving weekend. And today we're going to be feasting on some uh, last-minute predictions. And, uh, Brett, uh, we're going to continue with um, our season preview. Uh, We didn't state who our final four would be so uh let's get right into
1: it i mean it's kind of it felt like forever ago since we did do those four previews before but um yeah i figured this would be a good way to just end our preview um officially by giving out our predictions i think we handed out where we think each team's going to finish in their own division but we didn't say what's going to happen after that so Um, We each have our own who's going to make it to the, who are the four teams that are going to make it to the conference finals and who is our Stanley Cup winner. Um, I guess I'll start first um, because I have it here. So I actually wrote it all out on my own predictions and stuff. And some of them are looking good, like the Vegas uh, finishing first in the Pacific. But then I have some that aren't looking so great like New Jersey finishing third in the Metro. So uh, with a lot of hindsight bias, I I think if I were like, I felt like New Jersey was gonna be the surprise team, but after watching a couple of their games, I'm like, all right, maybe not. Anyways, I think I'm gonna have Boston um, and Washington in the Eastern Conference Finals. I mean, I did I did have Washington winning the Metro um, it was kind of tricky to me for the Atlantic because I feel like it is just those three teams of Tampa, Boston, and Toronto. Um, I feel like Boston's more... Like, Tampa's struggling early on. It could help for their adversity issues later on in the playoffs. Like, if they had suffered more adversity last season, I feel like maybe they wouldn't have gotten swept. But now that they're, they're sort of, like not winning games that they should win like they beat uh they lost to your ottawa senators last night i feel like maybe there is something to this or maybe like teams are starting to figure them out like if the Sens can beat them um (laughs) then uh a lot of other teams can um but i still have them winning the the atlantic but um i'm not sure if they'll necessarily be in the conference finals Toronto they still have some defensive issues. I t- still feel like Tyson Berry will help them out, but Boston is the one that's more I feel like the most complete of those three. So I have them going um in the conference finals and of course I'm a huge Boston Bruins fan. So a little bit of a bias there. Um and then as for the Metro, I think this one is like so wide open. Um I was thinking of Carolina, but I feel like Washington's going to be the that team that's going to um, – they seem to have, like, figured things out, and maybe after their their Stanley Cup hangover, they're going to, like, just figure things out. Um, but, yeah, I think if I were to do this, these predictions again, I had – well, first off, I had Washington going uh, – winning the division, and then I had Pittsburgh second and New Jersey third – and then Carolina fourth. I feel like Carolina is probably going to be either second or third, um, and I don't think New Jersey's going to make the playoffs. So, um, so that's where, and maybe not even Pittsburgh either. So, um, so yeah, those those predictions do not look wrong. Do look wrong starting out right now, but you know, still four games in, you never know. Um, and then at, on the Western Conference, I have Nashville and Vegas. Um, those are my two teams there. Vegas, I've talked about before. Vegas uh, is a very strong team uh, now that they have Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty. Um, and I think they have the goaltending to match as well with Fleury in net. Um, I guess there is some concern that he's going to fall, but, um, I don't know. I, I think he'll, he'll figure it out. They have a strong team there. Um, and then, um, on the central side, I have Nashville winning, um, Colorado does look pretty good too, but, um, I think I just went with Nashville just cause I feel like their depth is stronger. Um, just a little bit. So I have, I have them in the conference finals. Um, and then, um, in terms of the Stanley cup finals, um, I have the Washington capitals playing the Nashville predators um and then i have the nashville predators winning the stanley cup um yeah so you have the
0: predators winning it all okay
1: Yep. and
0: if not now if not now then when really exactly yeah they're, they're running out of chances to get it done yeah um final final four heading into this year i still have faith in tampa bay i'm penciling them in i also have them penciled into the win the atlantic division here's the thing about tampa bay They coasted through the regular season last year. It was too easy for them. It was like freaking playing NHL 19 on easy mode. They were that good. And when they got beat by Columbus after games one, after games two, they didn't really have an answer because they were never in that position before. And when they got into some bad habits, they weren't paying for it in the regular season and the playoffs, they were getting exposed and they didn't have an answer and their stars were redundant they weren't dominant they weren't stealing the show like they regular scene and i think all that lack of adversity the fact that they didn't have a single person on their roster that had won the stanley cup before they had a bunch of guys that were part of that tampa bay team that made it to the stanley cup finals against chicago and they figured oh you know that's enough experience but Knowing what it takes to win the Stanley Cup, they didn't have any of that experience. And this year, they bring in Patrick Maroon, who has been a part of a special run before, who, in fact, was a part of a team that, as we all know, was one of the worst in the league out of the gate last year in the early days of January, still the worst in the league. They catch fire, they get in the playoffs, and they never look back from there. So. Uh, Patrick Maroon has been a part of a very special team. He knows what key ingredients can make a team so special. And I think that's what's going to help Tampa down the road. They also have a lot of motivated players. You know, Kevin Shattenkirk coming off that bio with the Rangers, pretty pissed off, motivated to show everyone that he can be a top 20 defender in the league again. And just everyone else in general motivated to atone for, last year's mistakes and an early first round exit Um, i think all of that is going to benefit tampa bay and the fact that they are going through this adversity early in the season right now should probably make teams worried down the stretch because if tampa bay doesn't win their division whoever goes up against them is still going to have a tough challenge because on paper they're still one of the best teams in the league so I think all that adversity is going to help the Lightning down the road. It doesn't phase me one bit. I'm still putting them in as a conference finals um, candidate in the East. Um, The other one, I think Carolina. And I thought they were capable of doing this before the season started. Um, The thing with Carolina is they're so good at shot pressure against that same Tampa Bay Lightning team. Um, I believe it was last weekend. They were down three one in the first. They end up outshooting Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay, twenty-nine to two the rest of the way, sixteen to nothing in the second period, force overtime and win the game an extra time. So they've just been a very resilient bunch in the first three games. They were all comeback wins. They found a way late to force it to overtime and then they went it past regulation. Um and Sebastian Ajo and Peter Mrazek aren't in all-star form yet, so just imagine when they do get in all-star form how good this team could be. Uh, Jakob Slaven is taking his game to another level. Dougie Hamilton, who has been known to kind of start off slow, is a point-for-game player right now. Uh, Eric Halla has made um, a mark early on with the Hurricanes, too. Yeah. So I, I think Tampa Bay and Carolina are going to be the teams in April that nobody's going to want to face and they are going to be a very draw right off the get-go and uh, you're going to see throughout the season why these two teams are Eastern Conference Finals participants and I think Carolina and Tampa Bay it's going to be a no pushover series it's going to go the distance seven games um, and uh, i'll explain which of uh, those teams will prevail after i'm done talking about the west in the west i have vegas um like you said vegas has a very strong roster mark stone and max patch Reddy um are still on the second line i would say that's um a first line 2.0 if you will just as dangerous as carlson and march is still on the top line um you know mark-andre Fleury. what can you say about him cody glass Um, In the early part of this season and in the preseason, he's done whatever he can to stay on the team. He's looked pretty good early on. Um, Alex Tuck, when he gets back in the lineup, is probably gonna add another dimension to that Vegas offense like he did last year. Even with all of the pieces that have departed, I still think Vegas has what it takes to get back to the conference finals. They still have a lot of that character from year one. Um, And, you know, they were probably a five-minute major away from advancing around to in last year's playoffs. I know who knows what happens there. So um, I think it's no fluke. Vegas is going to make it back there. And and I don't think it's a fluke that St. Louis makes it back to the conference finals either. Um, Jonathan Taves, um, who has won the Stanley Cup multiple times in his career, With the chicago blackhawks he said that the blues level of experience that they gained in 2019 is going to serve them well down the road they know all the ups and downs of a playoff run they know what it takes to win because they won it and a lot of that character from last season is back this year so um don't rule out the st louis blues either um so when it comes to a stanley cup final prediction um, I think Tampa Bay barely ekes it out in seven games against Carolina. Vegas is going to have a tough task uh, against St. Louis, um, uh, but I think Vegas is going to end up winning that. So Tampa and Vegas is my Stanley Cup final. But um, like I've said before, Tampa Bay is just too good on paper not to win the Stanley Cup. Now that they have that experience, um, I think the only thing I think the only thing getting in their way once again is themselves
1: okay interesting yeah i guess we have a slightly different um predictions here um yeah i I guess maybe i'm taking too much into account on um on what the early goings is i guess uh by not including carolina and tampa but um you know at the same time i don't know it's um i feel like it's such a long season that anything can happen and all that stuff so uh i don't know well, yeah i mean i mean yeah. look
0: at buffalo this year and last year they started off odd who knows right. if if uh, history will repeat itself like it did last year and they have an awful true. second half the oilers are a perfect five and zero. Oh. It, it a lot of hockey still to be played you're right um but um I, I, and, and again like the blues have shown us it's not how you start it's how you finish
1: right true um and also um uh, well i was going to mention when you talk about carolina the thing is the only thing that i'm worried about for carolina is uh like sure james reimer has been a pretty good and so has peter marasik as well but yep. like can they be consistent and that's what i'm not sure about and that's really what yeah, it's going to come down to yeah. is their
0: biggest concern absolutely you totally agree with you
1: okay so let's, on that note, uh, let's go to uh, what coach will be fired first. Um, I forget who was the first. Do you remember who the first coach was fired last week or last year?
0: Oh, man, because it all happened so quickly. I, I don't know if he was the first, but I think Mike Keo of the Blues. Yeah, Williams that was
1: Spartan my guess, but I'm not team. sure if that's true. I feel like the Flyer, maybe it was the Quenville oh, it could have
0: it been the Flyers, yeah. or uh, you know, it
1: could have been the Flyers, or it could have been the Flyers,
0: yeah. I, I know, I know that, I know that the Quenville, the Yo, and the um, Hackstall firings all happened within around a short the
1: same period one. of time. Yeah, yeah, anyway. it was around the same time. I can't remember which ones first. It was one of those three. Yeah, it was one of those ones. Anyways, um, so I like if you asked me this last week who was going to be the first coach fired um i guess i'll go into it i was going to say paul maurice um and i was going to say like how it's it isn't really his fault but because of the way their how their offseason went where they lost basically four of their defensemen and um and that's not really on Paul Maurice and stuff and they just and the, I like saw how they were playing against New Jersey and I saw how they were playing against um the Rangers I was like okay I think this this team is probably not going to be up to snuff yet however they went on a they started to beat different teams even without like Buffalo um and even without all these other guys and um and like patrick Line has kind of like taken Pat, it to the patrick next level Liner. yeah sorry what yeah, were you patrick saying
0: Liner is something else too yeah i know patrick line is something else too like he's leading the way
1: yeah he's leading the way he had two goals two assists and eight hits um, again, I mean it, it is against the Minnesota Wild, so it's not like that big. But and he didn't score last night against the Blackhawks. But like Nikolai Ellers is making it yeah, big. And
0: any, yeah. Any time a goal scorer can drop eight hits on a team, like yeah.
1: wow. Exactly. And like Mark Scheifele is doing well. Um, Blake Wheeler is picking it up as well. Um, and then you have like guys like Neil Pionk, um, who's making names herself. And then like. Vili Hinola, who I was, like, lambasting last year or last week about, like, how they're, like, he's – they're not developing him properly. Looks like I'm, like, the wrong – like, the most wrong person ever because he has, like, five points in six games. Um, And uh, he uh, – sorry, he has three points in five games. Um, Still pretty – that's still pretty good, so – Um, Maybe they'll send him back um, after those nine games, but he looks NHL ready already, and that's kind of like a crazy thing. They kind of lucked out in drafting him 20th overall. So I'm not going to pick Paul Maurice because it looks like they figured stuff out maybe. Um, Maybe eventually they will, but we'll see. My choice is actually going to be John Hines of the New Jersey Devils. They have went on a, uh, I mean, yeah, you could probably make a case that Corey Schneider and Mackenzie Blackwood were the big question marks this year, um, and they have not looked so great, either one of them. Uh, They both played three games, they both have a sub-900 save percentage. Um, and their GAA is, you know, in the threes instead of in the twos or ones. Obviously, so, um, yeah. So they're not their goaltending's not great. Um, however, you know, you, you made all these like off season moves You get PK Subban. You drafted Jack Hughes number one. You traded. Um, you you know you got uh, Nikita Gusev. You got Wayne Simmons, um, and. Um, and all to appease Taylor Hall. And now, like, no one on the offense is even working either. So I feel like something just has to happen, and I think John Hines will be the first to go. Um, they pl- on the plus side, though, are they pl- they're on a six-game home stretch now where they play Florida, New York, the Rangers, um vancouver arizona tampa bay and philadelphia and only about a couple of them like three of them are about when four of them are winnable i feel like if they continue to go on this losing streak at the end of that philly game which is november 1st um if they lose all six of those games i think john hines will be the first one to go so that's november 1st i'm calling my shot that's when he'll be fired. Um, if if they go on this losing streak even further.
0: You, you know what? I totally forgot about John Hines and how important this year is to the New Jersey Devils when it comes to signing Taylor Holt's a yep. long-term deal. I I totally am on board with 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 the with your theory there, Brett. Um, even if. Even if they're below 500 on this home stand, I think there's a chance they fire John Lyons if they yep. really want to do well this year. Um, if they don't even, if they don't even, if they just drop even four or six, yeah, you um, should be watching his back a little bit. Um, there are a lot of names that uh, came to my mind, so I'll briefly mention a few others. The main guy I have is Bruce Boudreau of the Minnesota Wild. Um, Entering the final year of his contract, Minnesota, obviously in a difficult division, Um, they still for whatever reason feel like they're a competitive team, although I doubt they still have any sense of direction at the moment. Uh, The odds of them struggling out of the gate with the roster they have, the division they're in, are pretty high. Um, In November or December, I can totally see them getting dismissed if they're among the cellar dwellers. and. With such a strong top five in the 2020 upper grabs with uh, the two Swedes with Alexis Lafreniere with Quinton Byfield in the OHL who's absolutely killing it right now Uh, perhaps they're better off riding out the season with Boudreaux and getting the best odds of launching a top six talent into their lineup down the road that could prove useful in a few years so for that reason maybe Bill Guerin waits to pull the trigger until after the season is over either way Bruce Boudreau after this year is not coaching the Minnesota Wild. It's just a matter of if the firing happens mid season yeah. or if they wait to the end of the year and they do it then. But I don't see him coming back. Um if um the Devils don't perform well out of the gate, absolutely can add John Hines in the mix. I think the same can be said for Pierre DeBoer and the Sharks side. The Sharks uh, winning the pacific division this year they do not look anything like pacific division winners right now if they continue to play that way i don't see DeBoer getting it uh, getting a, an nhl gig past christmas um if the leafs are average i could totally see mike babcock getting dismissed and they bring in sheldon keith to coach the team um that's still plenty of time for the Leafs to get their act together so I don't I unless things are completely drastic down there and a change needs to be made I don't think it happens but I'm not ruling it out it's a big year for Toronto they can't afford even an average start to the year so um, I would put uh, Mike Babcock on that list and I don't even think even with that contract extension I don't even think Mike Sullivan's job is safe in Pittsburgh. Yeah, it's one. That's Jim, Jimmy Rutherford, um, he gave Jack Johnson a five-year extension this past offseason, and he's already on the trading block after what one year? Yeah. I even with a four-year extension, Mike Sullivan should be careful if the Pittsburgh Penguins have a bad year.
1: Yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, Mike Sullivan's an interesting one for sure. For Bruce Boudreaux, I or um, Peter DeBoer, I could see that happening for Minnesota. It's like I feel like they're they are in rebuilding mode, even if they don't want to admit it. So it's like, yeah, it's not like the exciting pick where it's like, ooh, that's a hot take, whatever. But um, yeah, I could see that happening. Um, I just I feel like they're they're just considering this season a lost season already. So they're they're not even worried about Boudreaux at the moment. So maybe that's why I feel like they're not like just the fact that they are rebuilding shows that maybe they won't like they're going to worry about the coaches after like maybe in January or something like that. So I don't mm-hmm. know if he'll necessarily be fired be the first one fired, but it'll probably be fired. Yeah, and the, the Penguins one is, uh, Mike Sullivan's a good one. Although I'm sure it's, it'll be like a lot like a Coach Quenville's situation, um, where teams will, um, you know, because he's won two cups already, and a, a team will grab him, uh, I'm pretty sure. All right, uh, so what player will break out um so I went first the last two questions. Uh why don't you go first here?
0: All right, so uh my breakout player. Uh we talked to him about him briefly last week. You were kinda hesitant. Uh, you kinda said, Hey, it's early in the season, you know, don't don't get too ahead of yourself, Steve. But uh yeah, Mika's advantage asking have a breakout year. You heard it here first. And this why is am before. I surprised? This am I this not surprised? is supposed to be <laughs> this was before our Timmy Panarin played his first NHL game, I thought it was going to be a big year for Mika Zibanejad. And uh, if you look at the past couple of seasons, he's generally been a guy that's averaged between 0.55 and 0.7 points per game. Um, and before last year, he was a 20-goal scorer in three of the previous four campaigns. Um... In, in around that time, he was a second line player that you know wasn't afraid to hit. He had uh, a couple of hundred hit seasons here and there in his NHL career. Um, but wasn't a guy that generated that many shots. His first 200 shot season was in 2017-18 when he scored 28 goals on or 26 goals, sorry, on 209 shots. and he averaged 18 minutes per game that, that year and then we get to last year where he's actually playing on the top line his wingers are chris kreider and matt zuccarello and mika's advantage gets guess 30 goals and 74 points in 82 games not surprisingly 30 goals 74 points were both career highs 236 shots surprise surprise another career high for him his average ice time was up to 20 minutes per game a jump of two minutes and 34 seconds from the previous year um, over 233 minutes of power play time as well. Took the eighth most faceoffs in the entire league. Over 3,000 face-offs since the start of 2017-18. This was all before Artemi Panarin joined the New York Rangers. Now, before I get to his stats from his first three games, I will mention a few asterisks. First of all, Game 1 was against the Winnipeg Jets defense that was just trying to dog-paddle their way through a hockey game like this this was a very different jets defense not nearly as good as the one from last year second game against ottawa we don't have to explain why we all know they're going to be one of the worst teams in the league game three against edmonton team defense hasn't been their forte hasn't been for a couple of years and in between those games it's what october 13th now some teams have played five or six games at this point Rangers have only played three. So, Jad has had time to um, rest and recoup in between games. So, it's easier to kind of put up these kind of numbers when you've had time to, obviously, rest and recoup in between. Nevertheless, season debut against the Jets, he gets a four-point game, he gets a goal and three assists, logs 20 minutes and 39 seconds of ice time, posts seven shots on net, The only other players that had more shots on goal than Mika Zabanijad in that game were Blake Wheeler, who had 9, and Nikolai Ehlers, who had 8. Both were on a Jets team that had 47 shots in the game. So outside of that, Mika Zabanijad was one of the leading shot getters on the ice that night. And he spent just over 3 minutes killing penalties. And the Jets only scored on one of their 5 chances in the hockey game. So. Pretty good season opener, right? Yeah. So then we go to game two against the Saints. Again, supposed to be one of the poorest teams in the NHL, but the Rangers' power play went two for three on that game, three for five to start the season. Sabanajad was involved in pretty much all of that. He gets another four points in this game, this time he gets a hat trick a power play goal to start things off even strength tally to get his second of the game and then patiently outweighs the send shorthanded before firing one past craig anderson for his hat trick goal and that was in the second period so before the third period started mika zibanejad had a hat trick in that game he was the first player in nhl history to open the season with eight points in his team's first two games since some guy named Yarmir Yager did that way back in 95-96 Logs 2032 in this game spends 353 on the power play another 304 shorthanded and he only had three shots in the game and he scored on all of them so again good follow-up game to a season opener game three against Edmonton he goes pointless only manages two shots on goal And against Edmonton, you know, everyone can say, oh, you know, the Edmonton Oilers, you should be able to trance this team. You know, they're so bad at team defense. They've actually been pretty good as far as team defense goes um, in their first five games. They haven't lost yet. They only gave up 21 shots to the Rangers in this game, a team that struggles to generate shots to begin with. So before he has schooled Mika Zibanejad, the rest of his team wasn't that great either. But even though he wasn't overwhelmingly spectacular, he still played 24 minutes and 22 seconds in his third game, 18 seconds shy of Jacob Truba's 24:40, which by the way, was a game high. So Mika Zibanejad spent more time on the ice than Connor McDavid did. And once again, was one of the Rangers' better players. Artemi Panarin, as good as he is, isn't in mid-season form yet. So when Artemi Panarin gets into mid-season form and he starts to dictate the play and everyone's focused towards him and they forget, oh yeah, Mika is also a good player, guess who's probably gonna benefit from that? Mika No. So if he gets 40 goals and at least 85 points, that wouldn't surprise me at least. I think this year is going to be a big, big year for Mika Zibanejad
1: yeah i think the uh you know having panarin there is certainly gonna help him for sure but um at the same time i'm not sure if it's gonna be like uh like do you project him to be like an 80 point player or 100 uh,
0: percent i i predict at least 85 wow, at least okay. 85 even 40 goals yeah it's gonna be a big
1: year Um, uh, i would i would say i'm not gonna go that high i would say 70 though um, which is still a pretty good season, but yeah, I I wouldn't go that far. Um, it's 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 just that the Rangers
0: top line. When you look at the guys below Mika's advantage
1: at, it's Ryan
0: Strom, it's Fred Howden, it's Elias Anderson,
1: and Phil. So Mika's
0: advantage at, and that top line for offense is going to be relied a lot, and that is why he's going to get a lot of points.
1: Yeah, that's true, but at the same time, it's like um i mean first off it's the rangers they're not really expected to be good right uh, right away and secondly it's like i i expect um i mean because that that could also work against them too because uh Mm. because they don't have another good center out there so more teams are focused on that top line and if you can and if you can uh defend the top line well enough, then, uh, you can, you know, then you can't really like, you don't have to worry about the other three lines. Um, so that could work against them as well. But yeah, I, I do see what you mean. I do think he'll improve purely because Panarin is that good, but, um, I don't know if it's going to be like a 10 point difference from what he's, he's been, um, in his career. Um, Anyways, uh, my my player um, is going to be um, Andre Sveshnikov. Um, okay. He, uh, I mean, he's already he's already broken out in a way. I mean, obviously, it's only six games, and as I've mentioned before, it's like you you always have to temper expectations starting out because it's like, um, like James Neal is not going to be a fifty goal scorer. Um, you know, so I just have to like, keep that in mind, but, um, I mean, obviously he's not like people do know him, um, just in terms of like, he was the second overall pick last year, um, in 2018. Um, and, uh, he already has eight points in six games. Um, seven of those are assists, but, um, it seems like the, the Carolina Hurricanes were just being patient with him last year in his rookie season. He only had 37 points last year in 82 games, um, which isn't bad. 20 goals, 20 of those points were goals. Um, So that's not like, you know, terrible for a rookie season. However, his average time on ice was 14 minutes. So when you think of it that way, where he has, like, he doesn't have that much, he, he didn't have any minutes, like, he didn't have a ton of top-line minutes or even uh, line two minutes, and uh, he still gets 20 goals, 37 assists, uh, 37 points. Um, that's still, like, decent considering what what's going on. Now, he's actually on the top line, um, and he's producing as well. So he... Um, I believe. Let me just double check here, but it says here that in the first in his first six games, he has 17 minutes of ice time, one goal, seven seven assists for eight points, um, and uh, he is on the top line. So I assume if he continues to produce in that way, he'll he'll be you know. Um, okay he's not on the top line he's on the second line though Um, but even still he has an increase when you increase your time there he's um, you know like the more more time he gets and if he can produce the more you know good he'll be so like and it's it's already showing in fruition where he's He's getting these assists. He's getting these he, these goals. He's contributing, um, just in general. And you know, like the the Hurricanes kind of do have a lot of good wingers out there. Of course, you have T- Turbo Tara Vinen, um Nino Nittiariter, uh, Svedjov. As I just mentioned, uh, they they brought in Ryan Dezingle. They have Martin Nikash, um, who's Who's playing wing as well? Somehow, um, Eric Holla can play wing as well. Brock McGinn, I guess, is another guy. So they have they're they're pretty good with wingers. But I feel like Andre Sveshnikov, of all those guys that I just mentioned, they have he has the highest ceiling of all those guys, um, including Teravine and, and you know, Nino Niterider. But um, so I feel like once he gets going, the Carolina Hurricanes are only going to get stronger. Um, because maybe he'll eventually play with Sebastian Aho and and, Tara and on the top line, um, and and that could be like a formidable top line um, uh, for seasons to come um, if if he really does get going. But it's like it's cool to see that he's like he's getting the ice time that uh, he needs to flourish, and this is kind of what I feel like the devil like this like the devils and the um rangers should keep note of how they're handling how the carolina hurricanes are handling Svechnikov because um i feel like it makes sense for the rookie year to give them like maybe like third line minutes fourth line minutes so you know hughes and kakos shouldn't be relied on so much and then the next year once they've gotten the like they understand the NHL a little bit more, they're getting used to things, then give them more ice time and then see them actually flourish. So I think how Carolina is handling handling, uh, Sveshnikov is um, exactly how you should be developing your young players like that. Um, And the the other interesting, oh, sorry, go on.
0: To to add to your point about Hughes and Neko, I believe they combined for one goal, and that's it. Hughes has been held
1: pointless. Right, but, like, Hughes is also, like, I mean, I guess what they're doing with Hughes is that, like, he's on the third line, um, even though I guess he could technically be on the second line. uh, But, so I think they are doing what they are doing with Sveshnikov, with Hughes, um, but... Uh yeah, so it's it's still there, but like for Caco, Capo Caco, I feel like is very similar to Fe- Sveshnikov and I feel like they can um maybe that's a like maybe they should just limit how much ice time Capo Caco has um in that regard. The thing that's interesting about Sveshnikov yeah. though is that, you know, he had 50 goals in the OHL and that was a big reason why he was uh, second overall uh, last year is his ability to score goals. He only has 21 goals in 80 games, which obviously isn't bad, but it's not great either. Now, what you're expecting yet. So I, I assume he's still taking a lot of shots, though, um, this season. 17 shots um, in six games. So I assume that's going to, like, eventually... Those shots will amount to him scoring those goals, but um, at the moment, he you know if he can just get those assists, especially with like you know on the second line without Aho and uh, Tara Biden, it's it's gonna make the um, it's gonna make the Carolina Hurricanes that much more dangerous um, in the long run. Uh, all right, and then uh, speaking of rookies. Uh, what rookie will have the biggest impact to their team? What have you noticed so far? Um, So I have a couple of guys here, so I'm gonna let you go first though, cause you may, you're probably gonna take one of my guys that I'm gonna talk about.
0: Is one of your guys Kale McCarr? Yes. <laughs> okay, and yeah, I did take one of your guys. Yeah, um, you yeah. did. Yeah, I think I think overall, as it's a rookie, a he's probably going to be the main one to watch. Yeah. Uh, when you, when you look at his second season in in his pro hockey career, it usually ends with a bang. You look at his final season in the AJHL. Um, his first season was actually pretty good. He was a point per game player. He had a fifty point season, which for a defenseman is pretty crazy. But his second year, he gets 24 goals and 75 points in 54 games. After that year, the fourth overall in the NHL draft. Um, Has a pretty good showing at the 2018 World Juniors. Decent rookie season with UMass Amherst in 2017-18. But his second season was last year, and he gets 16 goals. And, 41, and 49 points in 41 games as team captain for UMass Amherst. So again, second season, big year for him. And then he gets six points and 14 shots in 10 playoff games, just right in the middle of the AS playoff run, game three against Calgary, round one. He gets thrown into the fray, averages less than 18 minutes per game, still gets six points in 10 games. Uh, the only defenseman that had more power play minutes in that playoff run for the Avs was Tyson Berry, and he had over 55. Now, that's still a lot more than Cael McCarr, but you've got a guy that hasn't played an NHL game up until this point. Just thrust him into that power play role with McKinnon, Landeskog, yep. um, and all of those talented players on the Avalanche, you're thrusting this guy into that role. And he gets six points in 10 games for you. That's something that you don't see too many times, and you don't give that kind of luxury to just any player. It goes to the rare breeds. And Kale McCarr is a rare breed. And you look at his first four games this season against Calgary, against Minnesota, against Boston, against Arizona, points in each of them. Only has three shots over those four games. But he has five points all assists and he's logging a ton of power play time and he continues to be heavily relied upon in fact even more so than ever the guy who's taking up a lot of the minutes that Tyson Berry no longer takes up in Colorado because he's on the Maple Leafs right now is Kale McCarr and right off the bat he logged 620 in the season opener against Calgary on the power play he logged 1801 in his second game against Minnesota of that was on the power play. He didn't even play 18 minutes in game three versus Boston, logged 2.23 on the power play. But keep in mind, Colorado had two cracks with the extra man. So that's what, at max four minutes on the power play for that team, and he played 2.23 of that. Yeah. Kiel McCarr in a full NHL season is going to leave you speechless if this is how his first four games play out the rest of the way. And I obviously don't expect 70 points, but he is going to be one of the rookies to watch for me. Uh, for For the time being, another rookie that caught my eye was uh, Victor Olsson. Oh, uh,
1: that was actually going to be my main guy I was going to talk about. Yeah. yeah.
0: And, and I'll let you explain further. Victor Olsson has had an interesting start to his NHL career. The thing is, he's played a lot of time on the top line. If he gets bumped down and Skinner goes back up to the top, and to play with Eichel and Reinhardt, yeah. that's going to be the question: Is Victor Olsen that much of a threat outside of the top line? So I'll let you take over from there yeah. because he's your guy.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Damn it! I thought I thought I was going to trick you, and you, I was going to like pick a guy that you may not have we're, we're, noticed, and I, then I've you
0: said many times we're on the same wavelength. This is another case in point of that. Damn
1: it. Oh well. Uh, thanks for letting me explain it th- further here. But um, <laughs>
0: thanks.
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, the interesting thing about Victor Oladipo or the things that I've noticed about him. Well, first off, I was, was when I was thinking of who who I should talk about. Um, like I was thinking, like, okay, the Hughes brothers, uh, both you know Quinn Hughes and Jack Hughes. They'll probably have a big impact. Capo Caco. Um, he scored a goal against the Rangers and Kale McCarr, who you just mentioned, he has power play time. They're going to be the front runners for uh, the Calder Trophy stuff. Um, but yeah, so I was going to pick Victor Olson uh, purely because he has he has top line minutes on uh, in Buffalo, um, and as, as Steve was mentioning, uh, he's on the top line with uh, Jack Eichel and Sam Reinhart. Victor Olveson, um is, uh, is the other piece, the left winger, and Skinner's now moved down to the second line. Um, and uh, the thing that's interesting, and so far he has four goals in five games, um, one assist there as well. Um, but when you look back, I mean, obviously it's a small sample size here for um, his rookie year. Last year, he had in six games he had two goals and two assists in six games, so four points in six games. Um, but he had the same amount of uh, time on ice, and that just shows to me that um, even with a new coach um, in Ralph Kruger, that they like Buffalo believes in Victor Olsson mm-hmm. and that he he's going to be thrust right into the top line and stuff like that. What does have me nervous though is that in the last. Uh, Like two games when the uh, Sabres were ahead by a couple of games, he was actually, Victor Olsen was actually moved down um, a bit. So his ice time was moved a little bit down um, because of that. However, like, you know, he had like four shots on goal against Montreal. um, And then he, I mean, he only had like one shot on goal against Florida. Um, when they were ahead. So that does get me a little bit nervous about like what's going to happen when he's not on the top line. But I do like that aspect of like it does. It, I do like the aspect of how Buffalo is are putting a lot of faith in Victor Olafson and he's doing and he's exceeding those expectations already. Um, but yeah, you're right. Of course, with like expectations like this, especially a rookie like this, it's, we don't really know what's going to happen when his center is Marcus Johansson instead of Jack Eichel. Um, so, so that's, that's where something that's going to be, uh, that you're going to have to, we're going to have to pay attention to. Um, and it's not like, you know, I think he was a sixth round pick. Um, oh no, sorry. He was a, seventh-round pick, so it's not like he has a ton of, like, a draft pedigree or anything like that. Um, Obviously, that doesn't necessarily mean everything in the world, but, um, you know, like, if that were the case, then the Oilers would be winning, you know, every Stanley Cup because they have so many first-overall picks, but the idea of, like, you know, um, just the fact that he he wasn't as big of a deal... Um, his draft year may have something to do with it. Um, however, a lot of Scots, uh, Scots, a lot of Scouts have, uh, mentioned how good he has been, and they were on his, they were on their radar, um, like, last year and stuff like that, so, um, he may fly under the radar, but at the same time, he could turn out to be, like, this, like, hidden gem that uh, the Buffalo Sabres need, and... They kind of need uh, a hidden gem like that. Actually, I'm looking right here. His stats in the AHL last year, uh, he had 63 points in 66 games. 30 of those 63 points were um, goals. So so he he is doing pretty well in the AHL already. Um, he did well in the SHL the last couple of years, even before that, uh, for Frulanda his last year. Um, he had uh, forty-three points in fifty games. Um, the SHL doesn't really have a lot of high-scoring point getters for some reason, so that's a pretty big deal uh, to have forty-three points in fifty games in the SHL, the Swedish Hockey League. So, um, so yeah, I I think there is potential that he could uh, be a good NHL player, and it does, you know, it does show that he is able to. Um, to be, like, uh, you know, he is able to at least uh, make it on the top line um, or he's doing well on the top line already. Um, But, you know, it's just more we have to see consistency. Like, maybe in December we'll forget about him, but um, there's also a chance that he could be, like, the breakout rookie that... um, almost no one saw coming. coming. Um, also, I yeah. just want uh, to... The, the, yeah.
0: there, there, there are two things also that I that I couldn't help but notice about Victor Olison. Sure. He's also 24 years old, so probably one of the more older rookies yeah. in this uh, rookie class. The other thing, each of his first... Or, uh, that's not proper grammar. He has scored six goals in his NHL career to date, all of them on the power play. Oh,
1: wow. Oh yeah, that's a good that's a good notice as well, yeah. Um so maybe maybe he's not great on even strength, but yeah. Um other guys um I have that are in good that have good opportunities, um, that I just want to briefly mention, um and then I'll leave you guys. Um Cody Glass, we mentioned him beforehand, but it looks like he's gonna be like the second line center. Um he's he's already been pretty good, but Steve mentioned him early on in this episode. Uh, Vili Hinola, I've already mentioned that before, but, um, if he, especially if he goes past the nine games, um, I think, you know, he's kind of, it's like kind of amazing that he's, he's been doing so well and he's only 18 years old. He, you know, so that could be a hidden gem for them. Um, especially cause I expect Winnipeg is not like their defense situation is so dire, But if they can, like, you know, if Vili Hanola turns out to be, like, even a decent defenseman, then they can, um, you know, then their problems aren't, like, they can, (laughs) my point is, is that Hanola can take advantage of Winnipeg's uh, dire, desperate uh, need for defensemen. Um, So if he can produce or if he can even be a good defensive guy for them, um, all the power to them, Barrett Hayden is another one. Um, I feel like he's he's very comparable to uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois, where people were surprised that uh, that their team picked him so highly. But then it turns out that they're actually, like, really good at this hockey thing. Um, I think he's getting, like, second-line minutes um, in Arizona. But um, – and, and Arizona needs scoring. So if he can – and he's, like, the best – Okay I guess, the best he's he's not on this. He's on the second line but not a center. Um, but like you know Arizona is one of those teams that needs scoring um, and of course they have Kessel, they have Keller and Nick Schmoltz has gotten it in. but you know if they can get Barrett Hayden, he's he's giving he's given some good opportunities there in the desert. Um, and then lastly, um, I have Alexander Teshier uh, for similar reasons for Winnipeg's defense with Vili Hanola, I think uh, it's because Panarin's gone, uh, dzingel has gone, Duchesne's gone, um, Teshier can sort of take, like, is going to be re- the replacement for um, Panarin, and obviously he's not going to produce like Panarin has, but he is going to be, like he is going to be given the the right deployment for that, and I feel like he's a name that if he, he succeeds in that and gets maybe like 30 goals or something like that, then he'll um, he'll be in the Calder race and um something like that. But he is definitely given the opportunity to uh, to succeed in Columbus. Um, yes, yeah, so those are the briefly mentioned yeah, guys. I don't know if he had an other rookies. Especially,
0: especially with all that talent that's gone from Columbus too, yeah. like he's gonna get a lot of chances.
1: For sure. I mean of course they have like Gustav Nyquist and it's not like Cam Atkinson left, but um, I just I feel like he um he is given a lot of chances there and will have a lot of opportunity um in Columbus yep. but he's a guy to watch out for um if that happens. Um all right, I don't know if you had uh, any other rookies you wanted to talk about but um if you...
0: uh, yeah j- just a just a quick few uh, just a, a few out of Toronto uh Trevor Moore Okay. Uh, he's He's, he's had some in previous years, but still technically a rookie. Uh, he has three goals, four points, 11 shots in his first six games this year. Uh, also, a team hit and seven block shots. Uh, hasn't even averaged really 15 minutes of ice time per game. Um, so he's a guy to watch out for. Also, um, Mikheyev on Toronto. In six games played, he has two goals and three assists, so almost a point per game player. He has 12 shots um he's almost uh, reached 15 minutes shorthanded so he's been a pretty good penalty killer for them he actually leads all rookies in shorthanded minutes and he's averaged 15.55 uh, per game uh through his first six games too so those two rookies if they can play a pivotal role in the Leafs um another reason why Toronto shouldn't be overlooked um in the playoff race too um and it's those and it's guys like McKeon, guys like Trevor Moore, that are going to have to really step it up if the Leafs are going to take that next step and just even get out of the first round. Uh, they need guys like McKeon and Moore to deliver. So, uh, look out for those two as well.
1: Okay. Um, all right. Uh, you can catch us on SoundCloud and iTunes and Spotify. Um, our Twitter is Lace Up Podcasts. Our Facebook is Lace Them Up. Um. That's about it. I'm Brett Tubuff.
0: I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again. Episode 189 of the Listen Up podcast.